This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. We're going to look at several scriptures tonight. This I've mentioned this to you, that when we turn the corner of chapter 3, getting into chapter 4, we start getting into six wings, four beasts, seven seals, and this kind of stuff. And Revelation is already a complicated book, as it is. And so this is not a book that I took on easily because I knew that it's there there are many things in this book that I don't even understand that I I don't get but I believe it all I believe it from cover to cover if it's there I believe it I may not understand it all and I certainly need the spirit of God uh to enlighten me, to give me wisdom, to open truths to me, and it takes a very persistent path of study. I get that. I can delegate portions of my day, my week, and devote it entirely to a study like this, and it takes that. And I say that because uh, when we get to places like this, we're talking about a seven-sealed book here in just a minute, in chapter 5, and it's it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult path. So I, I, I realize that Revelation has been taught by many, many different theologians and scholars and pastors and teachers. I have to give it to you from my perspective. It doesn't mean that I'm right on everything, and you need to know that. But as best as I can... Steer the ship right is where we are finding ourselves in most perplexed scriptures. Having said that, I want us to look at uh, Revelation chapter 5 and beginning with verse number 1. And John said, and I saw in the right hand of him. Now, again, as we study this book, I want to emphasize the detailed specifics that John gives in this incredible journey. He is so particular about specific things. And it's those things that when I study and I prepare, I, I basically have, not literally, but figuratively, I have a magnifying glass on, on the scripture. And I, and I look at these words and I, it's like when Brother David was just reading in, in the book of Judges, chapter 6, there's a, there's a word phrase there. It's one of the personal names of God. He read it just a few minutes ago. It's called Jehovah Shalom. That's a personal name of God. And that means the Lord our peace. Now, you don't, you don't get that just by listening to him read it. And it takes study. It's just like when God told Abraham, take his son to Mount Moriah. Uh, God said, I'm going to change the name of this mountain from Moriah to Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh is a personal name of God, and that means the Lord will provide. What he just read a moment ago means it says Jehovah Shalom. It means the Lord our peace. It's a personal name aspect of God. But you, you have to put the magnifying glass on the scripture and you have to go word by word. Some cases, sometimes, uh, it's an adjective or a metaphor, something you, you, uh, you you just got to really zero in on. 
And this is one of those things, and he emphasizes this tonight. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. I don't know how many of you remember several years ago in Waco, Texas, there was a cult leader named David Koresh. He assembled all of his people. They were called the Davidianites. One of the things that he was grossly um, incorrect on was his teaching of Revelation. And he put the majority of what he was all about on this seven seal thing. And listening to the tapes and watching some of his his uh, comments and things that he was about, he was he was grossly, seriously wrong on uh, a majority of what he took it out of context uh, in, in a great degree. But this is where we are introduced to this seven seal thing again. We're talking about four beasts. We're talking about. Uh, four and twenty elders, and it's just, you really got to put the microscope, and we have to go almost word for word here as we turn the corner and get into this aspect of the study. Now, you look at this passage of scripture, and I believe that this seven sealed book, in my study, I believe this with great conviction that this contains the secret of understanding all of the other chapters to follow. This particular verse, when we get to this portion right here, I I believe that if we make a mistake, which David Koresh made many, I think if we make a mistake right here, I, I don't know that it's possible to put together in proper context the things that uh, will follow. Now, here's what we know up until this particular point as we study. When the Laodicean church has run its course, and that's where we are now in the days of the Laodiceans. We talked about the seven churches of of Asia Minor. And when, when this Laodicean age has run its course, then the true church, the Philadelphia church, is going to be taken out, and that will commence with the rapture. And so in this portion of the study, when John, he's caught up in the Spirit. I don't have time to be repetitious with that. We've already dealt with that, but he's he's caught up in the Spirit, and he sees what we will literally experience in the rapture. I want to give you... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 13 and 18. They'll get these scriptures here for you and you can follow along. And uh, I just want to make sure that you're writing them down. Because when he's caught up in, when John's caught up in the spirit, he, he immediately sees what you and I will experience in the rapture. And Paul is writing, he said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Are those who have already passed on, believers in the faith who are already in heaven by spirit and soul. 
concerning them which are asleep. That's what that means, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Next verse, please. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Next verse, please. We're going to read through verse 18. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, now this is the gospel. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, those who have passed on as believers, will God bring with him, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain. See, everybody's not going to be uh, dead when the rapture takes place. They're going to be living believers on the earth when the Lord returns in the air for the rapture. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, which shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. This is a rapture. And let's pause 17 just for a moment. Keep it there. No, go back to 17. Hold it there just for a minute. The thing that I want you to understand that uh, the dead in Christ, this, this proves, I was just talking with somebody last night about the pre-tribulation stand. We are pre-tribulationalists. By the way, we're pre-everything. Everything is pre for us. There's our millennium. Uh, post-millennium. There's, there's all kinds of millennialists. We're pre-everything. We're pre-rapture, pre-millennium. But there's a distinctive difference between the rapture and revelation. We'll talk more about that perhaps at the prophecy series. But in the rapture, the dead will rise first. All of this happens in a split second, twinkling of an eye. All right. Then verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. See, there's a meeting in the air. The revelation, Zechariah 14, 4.14, teaches us that when he comes back in the revelation, which is seven years after the beginning of the tribulation, his feet shall stand that day on the Mount of Olives. This is entirely different than that. This is the rapture. Then which we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So in the rapture, we meet the Lord in the air. In the revelation, he comes with ten thousands of his saints uh, to the Mount of Olives. And then, of course, the events to follow. I don't have time to go into all of that tonight. But so then verse 18 Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay, so chapter 5 is basically a continuation of chapter 4. No, I, I want you to notice the first word of chapter 5. Look at this. No, I want you to see how it begins. It begins with a conjunction. It's the word and. So everything that John is witnessing He's furthering the description with this word and, and it links chapter 4 and chapter 5 together. That's, that's pretty a, a significant. And so the things we're going to study here in chapter 5, these events in chapter 5 
All of these events take place in heaven. Okay? So another interesting thing that I see here is this, that John, in the beginning of all of this, he doesn't see anything but Jesus. He's in the Spirit. Everything happens with a bang. He's, he's looking at the Lord Jesus, and that's all he sees. But all of a sudden, that dramatically changes. Now he's looking at someone who he has never seen with his eyes, and it is God the Father himself. Now, he not only sees God the Father, but he sees a seven-sealed book. So this, this is where pretty much we go to school class. This is where we get into some complicated prophecy. So he sees the seven-sealed book, and then he swiftly sees, and he hears an angel begin to speak, and the angel is asking this question, who is worthy to open this book? Let's look at it again. In verse number one, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And verse number two, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Okay, so John immediately, he's caught up in the spirit. He sees the Lord Jesus. All of a sudden, his attention turns. Almost in a whirlwind, he is now coming face to face with God the Father. Then he sees this, this angel making the proclamation, asking the question, who's worthy to open the book and to loose the things that are in it? Now, the things that are in this book are the things pertaining to God's last dealings with angels, with his saints, and with the nation of Israel. That's what this, this book, what the seven seals contains. The seven sealed book also contains, stay with me class, the seven sealed book also contains the blowing of the seven trumpets and the pouring out of the seven vials of the wrath of Almighty God. Now, I know this is deep, and it's coming to you like a train without brakes, and I get it, and I knew it would be like that once we started turning the corner on chapter 4. But listen carefully. This book also contains the redemptive terms for the earth. The, the, the earth as we know it right now is not going to be the earth that will exist in eternity. In Revelation 21, the word says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Right now, this earth is living under the curse. We're not, this is not, this earth as we know it right now will not be the earth that goes through eternity. Now, Jesus, here's something very important, because this book contains the redemptive terms for the earth. Now, what are the redemptive terms? Number one, and I hope you're writing some of this down. You never get it on the first go. 
But number one, Jesus redeemed the soul of man at the cross. He redeemed the soul of man at Calvary. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 23, the Bible says this. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unframed love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So keep this in mind. Number one, Jesus redeemed the soul at the cross. Number two, he is going to redeem the body at the rapture. He will redeem the body at the rapture. When we die, our soul is ushered into the presence of the Lord. Our bodies are lowered into the ground, typically. Now, here's the thing. When the rapture takes place, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. We'll meet the Lord in the air. But that's where the glorification of the body takes place. He will redeem the body at the rapture, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. You see, there's no way that I can stand here in this pulpit and teach you or preach to you what a glorified body is. I do not know. I, that, I don't have the words to describe it. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So that means this. Whatever the Lord is when he returns in the rapture, according to scripture, we're going to be just like him. Now, I'm almost out of time. I want to clarify something, and I think I will make reference to this in my prophecy sermons. Because when I read a passage of scripture like this, and I have heard other people preach it, and even my own personal study in my early days of ministry, had I not persevered, I might would have still been what I believe to be wrong. Does, does this mean, okay, when Jesus ascended back 
to the Father 40 days after the resurrection. The scripture says, this same Jesus which you have seen taken from you shall so come again in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. He began his public ministry when he was 30 years old. That earthly ministry lasted for three and a half years. So when Jesus was crucified, buried, when he was risen from the dead, when he ascended back to the Father, theoretically, by human calculation, when he went back to the Father, he was 33 and a half years old. Now, does this mean that when Jesus comes back, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is? Does that mean that everybody is going to be in this glorification process, instantly turned into 33 and a half year old people? No, but I wouldn't mind being that again, I tell you that. But that's not what this means. Uh, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, scripture's clear even, even with the millennial reign of Christ, the diversities of ages. But here's the thing, and I'm, I'm way past time now, but let me wrap this up. He came to redeem the soul at the cross. He is going to redeem the body in the rapture. And this is where John is right now at this part of the scripture, because he will redeem the earth and all of creation during the time of the removal of the seven seals from the book. I'll give you one last scripture and we have to wrap this up for tonight. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 23. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. The soul was redeemed at the cross. Our bodies will be redeemed at the rapture. And the earth will be redeemed uh, during the time of the removal of these seven seals uh, from the book. And verse number two launches us into some, I believe, deeper explanation of that. We're out of time and we need to stop here tonight. It's, I think it's paramount that you, you come really from this point forward in the Wednesday night class with something to write on, something to take some real good notes on, because again, this is, it's coming at you like a train without brakes and, and I want you to get some of it. I know you won't get a lot of it, but I want you to get some of it and I pray that it'd be a blessing to you.
Amen. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.